This is your favorite podcaster, Romina, and you just tuned in to RM Podcast FL. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome back to RM Podcast FL. I hope you guys are having an amazing and a fabulous day so far. It is Tuesday, which means we have a brand new episode for you guys. And before we do jump into today's interview and a little bio about our guest, I want to actually remind you guys to go ahead and subscribe to our website, which is www.connectwithromina.com. And Romina, it's spelled R-O-M-I-N-A. I know, a weird name, guys. I didn't decide on my name. But <laughs> go ahead and subscribe to www.connectwithromina.com as we do have a new project coming out soon. It's a project that definitely everybody can benefit from. I'm super excited to launch the project. I've been working on it for months. And the launch date, as of right now, it's October 19th, you guys. So it's almost there. So make sure to subscribe to www.connectwithromina.com. You did that? Already done? Okay, cool. So let's jump into today's guest speaker. Today's guest speaker is Julie Kratz. She recently launched her book, you guys, uh, Lead Like an Ally. I definitely highly suggest you to read this book because the book is focused on the journey through corporate America with proven strategies to facilitate inclusion. This interview is mainly focused on how Julie actually went from working over two decades in corporate America and how she always had this awesome idea. She always had the confidence she could do more. And that's when she decided to actually actually have her pivot point to branch out and develop a process to actually help other women leaders create their winning career game plan. She is a TEDx speaker, you guys. She's a frequent speaker and executive coach. I would highly suggest you to connect with her on LinkedIn. I'll go ahead and attach the information on the show notes, so make sure you click in it. Even if you're lazy, just one click away, like I always say. So without losing any time, let's go ahead and jump into today's interview. You guys enjoyed, learn at least one new thing per episode, and like I mentioned earlier, make sure to subscribe to www.connectwithromina.com to make sure you stay tuned for the project that is coming out soon. Enjoy the interview. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in and trusting me with your time. Just like I mentioned on the bio, today's guest speaker on RM Podcast FL is Julie Kratz. Hi, Julie. How are you today? Hey, doing well. Awesome. Happy Tuesday. I'm excited to have you on the show today. Um, I'll pass on the mic to you first. I don't know anybody that knows you better than you. So tell us how awesome you are. Yeah, well, I don't know about all that, but I think we're gonna have an awesome conversation. Uh, yeah, I um, so I am CEO and founder of my business, Next Pivot Point. Uh, we exist to develop inclusive leaders, train women to build winning career game plans while promoting equality in the workplace. And so now more than ever, certainly we're at a pivot point uh, culturally, do a lot of things. Uh, now more than ever do I believe workplace inclusion is, is truly, truly paramount. Um, but before I got this all started six years ago, I did my own corporate America thing. So I was a people leader in corporate America and, you know, I didn't have a lot of the tools that I now teach leaders about today. You know, I kind of had to make my own toolkit of how to coach people, how to mentor people, how to meet them where they're at and, and delegate and trust and all the things that comes with leadership. There's no playbook. There's no college class on it. Even got my MBA and there was one class on leadership and it wasn't that practical. 
an application. Um, so it's a real problem and it persists to be a problem today. And now having leaders that are really empowering their teams, I mean, I, I think we're seeing that in the virtual workplace that'll continue for some time. We need leaders to step up. So that's what I get to do for my day job. Um, and I get to be a mom uh, and do other fun stuff as well uh, and really feel happy um, and excited to, to get to do purposeful work. That's amazing. That is very true, though, because you, you came from corporate America and corporate America has managers, not leaders. And I don't want, don't, don't kill me, guys. I'm not saying you know, not, we don't have leaders in corporate America, but we have more managers than leaders. Mm -hmm. So how can we train these managers to become more leaders? Yeah, that's one exercise I love to do in, in workshops that I lead is, what is a manager? You know, what are the attributes of a manager? They manage work, they manage tasks, they like do all these robotic things, you know? <laughs> Uh, and then a leader, what's a leader? Well, good news is, is anyone can be a leader, you don't, but you had to earn it. You don't just get to claim like, I'm the leader. It's not the way it works. You had to prove yourself. And it's really through influencing others, right? It's through tr building trust with others, it's through helping others, it's through empathizing with others, being emotionally intelligent, being vulnerable. And so there's this whole list of attributes of what I call a, you know, a leader and an, certainly an inclusive leader that's far more effective in today's workplace. Uh, but they're different. And, and people focus way too much on that title of manager, director, vice president, you know, whatever those fancy titles mean, people respect and want to follow a leader. So do you think the titles, it has to be more with authority and people just give authority more like in their mindset, they're up, upper in the stage, they're in a podium if they have authority. So if I say, for example, Julie is a great leader or of the X company, or if I say Julie is the VP of X company, which one would people respect more, do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there is um, a traditional kind of association that people made. And this is definitely a generational thing, a perception of you know, you've worked your way up in corporate America, you've gotten to that VP, that C-suite title, whatever those fancy titles are, there is a perception that you're important, right? And that you're a mover and a shaker, you know, fill in the blank analogy, uh, and that you're important and you've earned your spot and you get to sit there with your privilege and power and reign. Um, that's super old school, right? I mean, if you ask, millennials have been saying this for so much, this for so long, and their voices really haven't been heard because baby boomers like, all right, be quiet, get out of here. But Gen Z is now entering the workforce saying very much the same things, even more, uh, more solid. And so we, we have a real pivotal opportunity to listen uh, and to respect all layers of the organization and, and there's a lot of reasons for kind of this way of thinking generationally, because when the baby boomers, a large part of their workforce time, you know, there were, there were rewards for staying at companies. There were pensions, there were retirement packages, there were Rolex watches, you know, all sorts of things for the staying. The five year, the 10 year, the 15 yep. year mark, you get a guess. Oh, and I remember the cakes, you know, when I first started in corporate America, early 2000s, I couldn't believe how many people had been there 30, 40, 40 some years, retirement parties with the cakes. They were happening all the time. And I thought to myself, I remember, you know, my 10th celebration in a month, I thought, holy smokes, these people worked here like their whole life. 
And I remember just deciding that was not my path. (laughs) That was not going to work for me. And I think a lot of young people have kind of said that like, hey, it's not that I'm not loyal. It's not that I'm entitled and all these negative associations we make with millennials. And it's, hey, I want more. I want more purpose in my work. Um, I don't want to have to do the stuff that everyone wants me to do. You know, when I looked in the mirror after my 12 years I served and, and was climbing the corporate ladder just fine, you know, I was checking all the boxes. I realized in really taking an introspective look that I was doing what everybody wanted me to do and I was not doing what I really wanted to do. And, you know, if you get stomach aches going to work or booting up your computer nowadays, that's a good sign. Because I thought, you know, Sunday night, Monday mornings, I felt like queasy, didn't, you know, definitely wasn't excited to go to work. You know, I compare notes with my colleagues and they'd say like, I love going to work. or I really love my job. You are a liar. Why would you lie about something like that? Well, it turns out <laughs> that you can enjoy your work and you actually should enjoy your work. And the bonus for companies is productivity is higher, quality is higher, client satisfaction, like all the numbers are highly correlated with engagement. So this is good for everybody. And it was just always the right human thing to do. But we had a different model uh, for business that that's quite outdated and has been for some time. Yeah, I mean, and I would say also, it's how people are wired too. yes, it's a generational thing. But myself, I quit corporate America, because stepping in that building, I didn't feel like I wanted to see that building for the rest of my life. And I, I like even in my room, like I will rearrange my room every couple of months because I want something new and fresh and doesn't mean that I'm not loyal, but how I looked at it. And a lot of people, sometimes they understand this point. Sometimes they don't. How I look at it is that if I feel like I've learned everything I need to know or about 80 to 90% of, of this position, I need to move up. I need to do something different. Because it comes to a point that you're an autopilot and that's a dangerous zone for me. Like I will not even think about it. It would be an autopilot. So I don't even know what I'm doing. Like it just wake up, go to work, do this, answer this question, this, do this, do this, think a little bit outside of the box. Nope. Still same result. Do that. Like it's a dangerous zone for me. Mm-hmm. So what would, what would you say it's the best advice for somebody that has that motivational their like spirit that want to do something different to avoid that dangerous auto zone moment autopilot moment yeah. yeah the autopilot moment i love that because it's very telling of a lot of tenured employees in corporate america i see it all the time you know once you've been in a role usually um for a couple of years you're kind of maxed out right you're ready for the next challenge What we know, back to what I said about engagement and being happy in your work, is what we know is the primary driver of that, besides your your manager, your leader, is also being challenged and stretching yourself. And I call these pivot points. Um, And they're oftentimes career transitions. And this may not necessarily be jumping ship to a whole different company or industry or functional area. A lot of times there's small pivots along the way. And, And recognizing the opportunity for when I don't feel as fulfilled by work, right? And the two key questions I have leaders ask themselves is just take a hard look in the mirror. We don't always want to answer these questions. And sometimes we answer what we should be saying, not what we're really thinking, you know? I fall into this trap all the time. I know the shoulds. I know what I'm supposed to say, but I know the, the real script, right? The real answer, dig deep and ask, you know, how much is your position aligned with your, your unique skills? So the things you're really good at, that you're efficient at, that people ask for your help on, that you can do 
very easily. That's important. But to your point, the autopilot starts to happen when you get skilled out. So you need the wills. And, and what the wills are is the confidence, the mindset, the motivation to do it. And, and so when you have this really nice combination of a skill set and a will set aligned with your job in a way that uniquely meets the needs of customers and the company, wow, that is just like, I call it like the magic maker. Like that is the place you want to live and it's best for the company that you live. And I think we get so bogged down to these org charts and these roles and responsibilities documents and job descriptions, having to update them in the minutia of what if we handled the work environment like we do the gig economy and contractors and something like Upwork as an example? What if you had tasks that people signed up for and they did? I mean, wouldn't that be so exciting? I would love my job if my manager's like, hey, I still need you to get ABC report done or whatever. You're, I'm not saying you still don't have work to do, right? But once you get your work done, you know, go ahead and sign up to help on an engaging project with another team, right? Why wouldn't we do that? <laughs> it's not a thing. I wish they did that because this way it allows employees more so, more to also see the hands-on experience or maybe, you know, find a new passion or find something that they're good at or somebody like you it would surprise you too. You might have employees that might be really great at something, but you had no idea because you never put them in that atmosphere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's so true. And so I think that's where the growth comes in is because you don't want to get stagnant and stale doing the same things, the same skills, the same wills, right? You want to constantly challenge, stretch. And I think when you find a position that's really aligned with that, in that those opportunities naturally um, emerge. And maybe you get to identify new projects, new clients, new whatever, um, avenues to explore for innovation, which is really exciting for a company because you're the best one to bring new ideas forward and challenge um, traditional status quo thinking. But what if, you know, what if we took away the silos, right? And the layers and the complication that some of these biggest companies, I mean, I remember making slide decks like for months, just and I don't even know what at the end I was like, what was that even for? I've completely lost the purpose of that slide deck, but it probably still sits on a shelf somewhere in corporate America. <laughs> probably. <laughs> now, um, I have a question. I whenever I talk to females that want to move upwards, for example, or they want to go for that management position or for you know want to be a leader, they're always kind of step back. So my explaining of them is you should go for it because you're a mother, you're a daughter, you're a sister. If somebody has a problem in your family, guess what? They go to the female because the female's emotional intelligence is a whole different ballgame. Why don't we see females actually striving for more? I know we're seeing a progress, but I feel like we shouldn't even talk about this it should just be like you're skilled go for it i don't even care what gender you are you're skilled go for it but why do you still see this gap oh so many reasons <laughs> um so first and foremost um yeah there's more than two genders right so gender is a spectrum um but what we know about the pole ends of that spectrum going with male and female is that masculine behavior is taught, and feminine behavior is taught to boys and girls very, very young. I have a six-year-old that started years ago. Um, I'm remiss by her gendered language already. And so socialization teaches kids 
um, girls are, you know, these, we all know these, right? Girls are pleasing. Girls are caretakers or they're baby dolls. Um, girls don't be bossy. Mm, and so that's a signal. Don't self-promote. Um, don't ask for too much. Uh, don't ruffle the feathers, right? Um, be the peacemaker, um, be agreeable, be kind. Um, and so that's the message that we teach young girls from a very young age. Uh, converse to that, you know, the other gender narrative around masculinity, strong, brave, stuffing of emotions, um, you know, and okay, an acceptance for violence, uh, uh, an over, uh, an over messaging on physical attributes and risk-taking behavior. And so when you teach this behavior from a young age, as somebody's developing their personality and emerges into adolescence and as an adult, and then you go to a workplace that is hmm, male-dominated because every single workplace is. There is no such thing as a female-dominated company, industry. I've never found one. Listeners, prove me wrong on this. I'd love to find one. So when you, you enter a male-dominated space, females, remember, all that wiring, all that socialization. And you're right. Women do have some um, unique benefits around emotional intelligence. It's been measured. Women do have higher emotional intelligence. This is not innate. This is, again, socialized behavior. So when women bring these tools to the table in a male-dominated space where men are running, you know, 80% of the leadership team is male, their voices aren't heard. If they self-promote, it's like, oh, she's being really aggressive. I was called too confident once for self-promoting when my male colleagues did it 10 times more than I did. So we ask women to be like men, which is not helpful, right? 20 years of behavior, you cannot erase, and, and usually more, can't erase in one fail swoop. And then the second piece is actually we're the yin to the, the, the yang. Uh, we're losing all the benefits of gender equality when we ask women to be like men. Why don't we ask men to be like women? <laughs> I mean, there's a reason for that, right? And in a great analogy to this, a friend of mine went dog sledding. This, ma this makes a point about gender equality, I promise. A friend of mine went dog sledding a couple years ago. And uh, as she got in the slide, she asked about the dogs. And they happened to mention the genders of the dogs. And they were male and female. And they always had um, the, the team balanced male, female, male, female, male, female down the line. And she said, hmm, why? Oh, we would never let the, like all male dogs or all female dogs go together. She said, well, why? Because they balance each other out because they lead the best when they're together. And isn't that like, it, it, doesn't that just sum up gender equality in <laughs> a nice story? This is primal. This is innate. To keep women down in society is not good for men either. We're, it really is not a zero-sum game. We really are in it together. And we bring natural strengths to one another. Um, and so to get back to your question, uh, women are not, confidence is not something that we rever, like that we teach and socialize with women, uh, but we definitely do with men. So therefore confidence has really been defined as a part of masculinity. And that, that's the part that's really tricky to unpack. So I get told a lot that I have a lot of masculine energy because my mind, I don't care who you are. If I have an idea, I will say it. If I have a goal, I will say it. I like, I have no hold back if I like, I will just go for it. And I've been called before too bossy or saying, Hey, you need to relax. You're coming out too strong. 
when at the same time I've backed up my, like whatever I'm saying from facts, but I come out too bossy. If somebody else says this, if a male says this, it's a great idea. And I've ran into this before. And to me, I don't take it personal because I just say, well, I feel bad because that's the way you're thinking. So, so sorry for your daughter that you treat her like that. That's my thinking. That's mean of me probably to think. But that's how I'm like, next, right? But there are females or there are people out there that if they are in such a situation, it really gets to them and it holds them back for going on next time. Mm-hmm. Me? No means next. That comes from my sales experience. I just move on. But people to get to their mindset is not easy. So what can we do to help others when they get shut down and they lose this, their discourage, like their encouragement and they get all discouraged and they don't want to move next? Yeah. I know that was a long question, you guys. <laughs> so many things you just shared there in your experiences. We don't like it when people step out of their gender roles. So the, the feedback you're experiencing about being too bossy, too aggressive, tone it down. Women are told that. Can you imagine telling a man to tone it down? Unless he's like punched through a brick wall. No one's going to say that. And they probably still be like, oh, he's just being a man. You know, it's just, it's so funny how the, the rules of society just behoove men because they created the rules. So uh, back to your question, you know, when you run into challenges from other people not accepting who you are, you're showing up authentically and they don't like it. There's something going on with them, right? That's why I say no means next in my head. I'm not going to sit here and fix you. I'm just going to move on. Right. And I I think that's a very healthy behavior. Um, I I tend to get a little curious uh, with people. (laughs) Sometimes it does not behoove me well because some people just are not good intentioned. But most people are. Most people are good people and most people have good intentions they don't even know that they're being dismissive or condescending or fill in the blank negative ad- adjective. Most people's behavior when it's unhelpful needs some education. And so one of the tools I love in the moment, if somebody says something that's really what you're talking about is gender bias, when they're talking about something that's biased, I love to just flip it back to them and say, Hey, would you say that to me if I was a man? Or would you say that about Romina if she was a man? Oh, and then just like look at them and like the light bulb hits in like five seconds and like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. And I said, well, when you said this, what did you mean then? <laughs> just use their exact words. And that moment of realization, I call it holding up the mirror for people to see. They can't run from that. Like those were their words. That's their bias showing up smack dab in their face. And I didn't even have to shame them or educate them. I just got to ask some questions and be and help them implore some curiosity because back to what you said earlier, we get on autopilot with everything. That's just how our brains work. Save this tough stuff for the, you know, the saber tooth tigers of the world, even though they don't exist. But, you know, we are in scary times as our brains are working extra hard in that amygdala and that fear section. So we autopilot everything. So gender bias and gendered language and gendered norms are just part of people's innate behavior. They're not even thinking about it. So they need to be woken up, right? Mm-hmm. They, they need a pattern interrupt. They need somebody to just, again, hey, tell me more. Like, Why did you say that? Or what was that all about? I'd love to know more about that. And almost always in someone's justification, they're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, so I feel like people sometimes might do that too without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. so I tend to just 
not flip it back to them, but I tend to just ignore them and then just say, well, this works because of one, two, three. Like, I don't care about your emotion. I'm going to use logic. And most of the time my projects have gone through because I'm like, here's the logic. Here's the math behind it. You don't like it. That's fine. But it's going to work because of this. Like I take the emotions out of business. I think business is business. It has to stay emotions in there, but it should be follow the math in my, in my opinion, when it comes to big projects. But also what I would say though, is that my mindset comes like this because I was like my, I was, I'm a daddy's girl. Like I was raised, my dad told me to not hold back since I was a little, I hung out with him and the guys would go fishing, would go like, we would just be like, I would be doing like I was a tomboy. So since then, I learned to stand up for myself. Whatever I have to say, I'll just say it, you know, not holding back. Of course, not being rude. But a lot of times because we train, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say train. We raise females with a different standard. We raise guys with a different standard. When me and my brother, for example, we got the same, like, nope, this is what you're going to do. You're all getting raised the same. So it is important how you raised, but what advice or what, what would you tell for parents out there that they want to have strong, independent daughters in the future, what to stop doing right now, because this is where they get raised. Like this is the base root fundamentals that they're getting that they're going to have long term. Yeah. My questions today are like five minutes long, you guys, but I'm trying to back <laughs> it up with action. <laughs> well, you have great, I mean, a couple of things that you said, I mean, I think, um, you know, pivoting to logic, I think works for women, you know, and that tends to be a little bit more male. Um, men's rational brains are a little bit more active than women's limbic system and their emotional piece. Um, but I would say human behavior is rooted in emotion. So you still got to strike the inner, you know, underlying emotional why behind something to get somebody to do something differently. So again, yin to yang, both are important. Um, and then gender socialization, you know, even if I, I was raised, I can identify totally with your story because I was raised by a single mom mm-hmm. and I didn't see my dad that much. And so I saw my mom like take out the trash and, you know, do the finances, but also clean and, you know, do grocery shopping. Those are, you know, traditional male and female roles. So I was like, okay, we just do it all. Right. And, and, but then I went to school and I watched movies and other things that were gender signals. So we're, we're not, even if as parents we're doing the right things, and I see this with my daughter, she's still picking up those vibes other places, right? She's still looking around and seeing what a girl should be and what a girl should not be. So we have to have really intentional conversations with our kids. Like even if we're modeling true gender inclusion and lack of gender roles and you know, you're, you're the man or, you know, whoever, you know, whatever your partnership looks like at home. Uh, if you're modeling masculine and feminine behavior in partnership, we each do a little bit of everything. That's awesome. But just know that's not going to safeguard kids. So I would say to parents, have a meaningful conversation about gender and, and what does gender mean, right? And how do you identify as gender? I mean, we're seeing some interesting stats with Gen Z, 31% identify as LGBTQ+. 31%. Like that is a real number. And that was in 2018. So as we start to unpack gender and what does it mean, gender identity, there's so much fluidity to it that I think you'll start to see. And I have friends that have children that have expressed this as early as kindergarten, that I'm not a girl, you know, I mean, for example, and so just really having an intentional conversation about what gender is um, and how you identify gender. And um, the conversation I'm having with Jane, my daughter, is, is really intentionally about 
words of affirmation for her and knowing she's up against, it's not, and just being honest with our girls, like the world's not fair. It shouldn't be this way, but you're going to have to work harder than your brother. I'm sorry. It's just, it's the reality. Like stop telling girls they can do everything you can. I mean, that was the message I got. And then I was really ticked off when I found out that was a lie. So let them know um, that it's, it, it's expected for you to be strong. So we talk about being strong um, while being kind, <laughs> while being brave, um, and while being smart and beautiful and funny. And those have always been Jane's words since she was a little baby. And we do them every night um, to really reinforce those things with her. Now for boys, the biggest thing that you can talk about with boys is it's okay to express emotion. Um, we know the data shows with girls that confidence peaks at age eight, eight. And that's the same age we start telling boys messages like, don't cry, man up. Like it's big boys don't cry, right? How is this helpful? I mean, if you really think about it, what are these messages intended to do? Uh, Proliferate violence, (laughs) you know, keep women down. Uh, support the patriarchy. Those are my guesses. But these are systemic things that we're all participating in without even knowing it. So challenge the norms. They're not helping anybody. They didn't help you and they're not going to help the next generation. So the only way we can do it by leading from where we're at, and I think as parents having really intentional conversations about gender and the implications of gender very early. And it doesn't mean you're like paving the way for them to be something different than who they are. You know, they're going to identify however you want. So by talking about it, you're not going to change anything. That's still who they are. Um, you're just simply giving them the tools to be authentic early on with, before they fall into the trap of who, like, just like I did in corporate America, who everyone wants me to be versus who I am. And don't you want that for your kids? Don't you want them to be who they want to be, not, not who everyone else wants them to be? Oh, no, that's so true. Like, just build your own identity and have that strong solid foundation at a young age because later on down the road they're just gonna help them and it's gonna be positive for them um some so my mom is um i share this and this is a fun fact but my mom is more emotional like very emotional um she's cancer if you guys follow you know the whole horoscope cancer very emotional me on my end how i look at things is is if somebody has an opinion on me um, does your opinion improve my life? Does your opinion help? Like, is it coming from a real loved one? Is it helping me make more money or is it ha- helping me live a better life? If it's none of them, or if you're just a stranger, I'm sorry, your opinion is nothing to me. And I always had this, but when it comes to my mom, for example, she worries about somebody, somebody else's opinion of her. And she, she was raised very, with a lot of female you know, energy on her. Me, like I said, I grew up with pretty much my dad around all the time. Like my parents are together, but I was just a dad's girl, like having that attitude. And I can see the differences. And sometimes my mom says, you sound more like a dude than a female. And I'm like, no, but this is how it should be. So whenever I talk to my friends, I'm like, this is how you should have your mindset. Sometimes I think I'm crazy. Sometimes they listen to me, but either or out of five, one listen. So it still works. (laughs) But how can we, either I or other people, push this low-confident employees to strive for better? Because sometimes they they get on their own hands. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, confidence, there's not a unique formula or recipe for it. There's a lot of books out there that claim to have them. And I love a few of them. Um, my personal favorite, Jen Sincero's um, You're a Badass is one of my favorites. Um, and there's some really good techniques and, and just funny stories overall about it. But, you know, I think if you're wrestling with somebody that has low confidence, you know, how can you support them? Confidence is not finite. Confidence is not something you're born with. Uh, just like leadership, it's a choice and it's a choice every single day. So while someone might be expressing the heights of confidence one day, they may be in the throes of it another day. Um, but I think if you have someone consistently that just doesn't seem to like believe in themselves or they seem to hold back or, you know, they, they second guess themselves and women do this a lot more than men again, because of how we're socialized. So we have, we have measured confidence and scientists have measured this and, and women do express lower levels of confidence than men. I mean, there's tons of data to show it. Now, the good news again is this can change. Um, but if I were to coach somebody on confidence as I do often, um, I talk about positive thinking. Um, it's been a huge game changer for me, um, looking at things from a positive perspective. When I went through my coaching certification, it's just like, okay, what do you want, Julie? What does good look like? What is possible? Asking yourself questions like that instead of like, woe is me, the world's ending. Oh my God, I'm terrible. Um, you know, the negative self-talk can be real. It mm -hmm. lives inside your head. And, you know, a lot of my clients call it a name. They're, they're gremlin their, uh, you know, head trash, you name it, call it a name, let it come out and don't let it play for too long before quickly rewriting that script. I'm like, Oh, what was that all about? You know, if you're telling yourself clients don't want to buy my stuff right now. Okay, cool. Acknowledge it. There's the gremlin or the whatever. Now flip that script. What is it? What does it look like? Clients have bought my services in the past and they will again, you know, whatever you need to do. And I get in the throes of it and have to talk myself through it too. Um, but positive affirmations work, positive thinking works, um, reframing negative thinking, um, tools like meditation, like, like journaling. Um, I love to do visualization exercises with my clients. And I think as a manager, as a leader, this is fair game, especially in the world, whatever the future of work looks like being human with people and asking them about what they want in the future. Like, why haven't we been asking that question before? Why did we wait for a crisis and a pandemic? to get real with people. And like, to, I've heard people say they didn't even know their coworkers were married until this, like, yikes for your work environment. Like you don't even know each other. You spend like most of your awakened hours at work together. And all of this confirms, I'm so glad I'm not in corporate America again, but I know a lot of people are, and there's nothing wrong with it. I, I, I miss paychecks. Those things were nice. But if you're in it, I think lead from where you're at, model what you want to see from people ask people to visualize the future and, and, and as a manager, like be okay. If they say, I want to start my own business or I want to do something else. Cool. Yes. Yeah, see, that's, that's dangerous to say in corporate America. Oh, I know. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? Like you can get a heck of a lot out of them for the next three years. Like focus on that instead. I was, I was reading um, an article actually talking about, are they really mentors nowadays out there? And it's that, no, they're not really mentors. If you consider your manager or somebody within your workplace your mentor, you might be mistaken, but you have to analyze it, seeing are they going to mentor you to improve your work within the corporate, within right. the workplace? Or are, you gonna, are they going to mentor you to improve your overall life? Because we sometimes call 
our managers, our mentors, because they helped us get better stats, for example, if you're yeah. a frontline agent. But if you say such a thing as like, I want to open my own business, I want to do this. How do you think they're going to percept it? Probably the first issue that you're going to have, they're probably going to fire you because you don't take it too serious because yeah, your mind is somewhere committed. else. You're not committed. And that's the feedback they get. I'll tell you, you're still going to lose them anyway. I mean, even if you don't ask them as a manager, like they're still planning to do that. So you're, you're kind of missing out, right? On, on the full potential you could be getting until that happens. Or maybe you're missing an opportunity to have a conversation about how that could happen within the walls of the organization. So I think it's a huge miss to not talk about this stuff, but I know as an employee, I was terrified to tell everybody, you know, I was going out on my own. I waited till the very last minute to do so. So I totally get where people are at from a fear perspective and a commitment perception. Um, but back to your question about managers cultivating confidence, I think you can do a lot to listen to your employees, affirm your employees, recognize your employees. Recognition is free. Like you don't have to pay anything for it, right? Sending a nice email, not just like good job. I, you know, I used to have a part of love languages, you people. Some right. Words, words of affirmation. Somebody's love language. Yeah. And there's a work love language book, which physical touch, clearly not appropriate to <laughs> the other ones. Definitely. And so knowing what, what gets I mean, people high fives, going. they're acceptable, I guess. Right. Right. Maybe not now, but someday. Um, but you know, I, I think thinking about what makes somebody tick and most people like recognition, private recognition, not always public recognition. Um, but you gotta be specific with it. I used to have a manager that would come to my cube, like, thank you for being you. Like, thank you for coming to work today. I'm like, is that, is that what good looks like here? You really get to hear something specific. Like, I really liked how you handled this project. You really like how you handled this call. Be specific and focus on the behaviors you want to see more of as a leader. And that, that's going to benefit you. Like these tools go full circle. And I think as a leader, if you can be inclusive and practice coaching and mentoring with your employees, you get better. Like you can probably get a heck of a lot better than they did. And it's going to feel really good to help somebody. But I also feel like before you go, I'm probably going to get a lot of negative feedback from saying this, but here's a crazy idea. Before you promote somebody as a manager, besides going through the management, you should probably take them through a leadership course too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hope you don't get negative feedback for that. Well, you never know people because everybody wants to get promoted quick. But here's me saying whatever I think again. Um, I think that would be very beneficial for long term for the business and mm -hmm. for long term for the team. Mm -hmm. But yeah. that we don't see that happening. No, it's called emerging leader, like identifying the people that will be leaders someday. And before you put them in a position to be a leader or manager, you know, best practices like six months out, right? Especially when you have line of sight to a role they might be doing. They don't mm -hmm. know yet. Maybe it's not firmed up yet, but hey, in about six months, they're going to be leading the team. Let's get the skills in place now. And then the challenge becomes they can't always apply them because right? they'll say things like, well, I'm not a real manager yet. Okay. Well, practice with somebody, you know, <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, yeah, you, you, work with. you would learn leadership skills that maybe you can show with another colleague of yours or maybe right. help de-escalate a situation if such a thing happens or anything. I feel like that would be very beneficial. But again, maybe all employees should take a leadership skills just to learn how to better communicate with one another. Yeah. But we're talking about a fast-paced fast economy that um, we don't have time for frontline agents sometimes to go through very fundamental stuff. 
corporate well, America. I would say, what do we have time for uh, losing, you know, losing good people and keeping bad people? You know, do we have time for that? Um, I mean, the impact of something just like gender equality, we're talking like twelve trillion dollars globally. I mean, these like we like to think these are nice to have things, but they're actually really good for business. Yeah. No, think of it long term. Think of it as a long term investment. Mm-hmm. Like but it's we're short term. Yeah. You have to have long-term vision and you have to see where do I see so-and-so company, not five years, where do I see it in 30 years? Yep. yep. You want to be successful, yep. be on top of your game, where is it in 30 years? And then backtrack and do a reverse engineering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They should just hire us, guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> Julie, what's a new and exciting project that you're working towards besides just helping everybody out there uh, find their pivot point and find to be the best that they can. Yeah, I'm working on a future of work research project with some colleagues. So I think we're at a pivot point. Uh, my my business name selfishly, but everyone keeps using the words. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll keep using it. Uh, but we're really redefining, you know, workplace culture and the future of work. I mean, we're going to have more flexibility, more virtual work. Uh, lots of implications uh, in the new norm of what the world looks like. But I don't think any organization has the recipe figured out for it. I don't think any employee really knows through the fog of what they want. So we're just going to distill kind of 10 key findings um, to help managers facilitate a conversation with their teams about, hey, here's, here's something that was found in a study. Like, what are you thinking you want in the future at work? It's a reset button. Real opportunity on the other side of this to, to define the work in the non, you know, fast forward, hit the fast forward button from 1950, the Mad Men era. It is 2020. Last time I checked, why are we still behaving the way we did in 1950? So this could be a real opportunity to reset and and finally hit the fast forward to current day. What, What really works now? Oh my goodness. Yes. It's actually April as we're speaking right now, you guys, and the interview is, is being recorded. So 2020, I have to say it's been a crazy year though. For, uh, well, and it will be, right? Too much it's for still... a 2020 vision. <laughs> <laughs> right. You might have thrown that out like I did and rewrote it recently. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This this interview has just been amazing. And where can people get a hold of you if they do want to uh, have that one-on-one session with you, if they love this interview and they just want to reach out more and need help with their own business too, where can people get a hold of you? Yeah. Yeah. I respond personally to every note I get. So Julie at nextpivotpoint.com. Um, and my website, nextpivotpoint.com, has a plethora of free resources, downloadable guides, like a diversity dictionary, five questions to get the gender equality conversation started. We'll have that white paper, The Future of Work, up here. Um, so lots of things that you can get at your fingertips to keep this conversation moving inside your organization because I know it can be hard and you're not alone. So yeah, I welcome your questions, your ideas, um, your stories, always looking for that. So find me there. And then um, last but not least, LinkedIn. I post every single day, uh, Julie Kratz, K-R-A-T-Z. So connect with me there. You can see me in your feed and and continue to get peppered kind of information and story and and content to keep this conversation going. Awesome. And then my very last question, which everybody knows was the last question. It's my favorite. What is your personal definition of success? Ah, doing the work you love. You know, I mean, it's, it's cheesy but cliche, but true. I mean, when you get to wake up and not feel like you're working, you're just doing things that you really want to do and that you really feel like you were meant to do in this life. 
Um, you know, I mentioned my mother being raised by a single mom that worked her tail off growing up. You know, she always told me like from a young age, like you were really you know, passionate about you know, women and she didn't really articulate it in, in the words that we use today, but she's like, you're meant to help women. And I remember her telling me that in college, you know, as I'm studying business and dead set on my corporate career, America career, she's like, I don't know why you're doing that, but okay. <laughs> you know, I lost my mom at a young age shortly after that. And I just, her words really stuck with me. So I'm thankful I get to do the work that she saw in me all along. Um, and, and that's, that's to me, success is getting to do what you love and being excited and, and not getting that stomachache when you go into work. Yeah. Or the heart rate going to 120 as soon as you step on the building. That's fun times. <laughs> <laughs> not that you've been there or anything. <laughs> no, a friend told me. This is a completely friend story, you guys. <laughs> Awesome. Julie, thank you so much for being a part of RM Podcast FL. For you guys, I'll attach all the details uh, for to connect with Julie right on the, on the details bio description. So go ahead and click there. So you don't have to go crazy and mistype something. Just click it. It's a click away. And also I'll connect her. I'll attach her LinkedIn uh, profile. So go ahead and connect with her on LinkedIn as well. Julie, thank you so much for taking your time today and for being a part of the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for you guys, just make sure to tune in every Tuesday to listen to cool and awesome episodes just like this one. Have a great one.